and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Tara Tuttle and with me is Rebecca Mazzino and together we're going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us this week. Today's episode is about toys and we have two parts to our toy um, topic and so today is going to be a half of the toy topic and then we're going to cover the next half next week. So today we're actually going to be talking about the psychology of play and how toys relate to that and we're going to be talking about acquiring toys with intention. So I read this, um, I, I must admit I didn't read the entire magazine but I have read parts of a special edition of Time magazine that they did on the science of childhood and there's some really interesting articles and I will definitely pop a link to it in our show notes but there's Mm. um, a little quote that I found that I thought is um, really pivotal in you know if we're going to discuss play and how kids play and why we have toys and how many toys we have I thought this would be a really good place to kick us off. So um It says, nothing is as natural as a child at play. After a month of little more than eating and sleeping, infants begin to engage in play with their parents and the world around them. Left alone, young children will launch into imaginary play, inventing characters and stories. Put together with peers, children will almost instinctively organise games and activities. Play is so basic to childhood that it is seen even among children in the most dire conditions in prisons and concentration camps. It is so important to the well-being of children that the United Nations recognises it as a fundamental human right on par with the rights to shelter and education. Wow. Mm. That's interesting. It is interesting. And I guess it's that for me, the bit that stands out is that children will find a way to play even in dire conditions so in a prison Mm. or in a concentration camp that they can still and you know you see pictures of um, children in third world conditions where they're playing with sticks and rocks children children Mm. can create games and play out of nothing can't they yeah yeah exactly and they enjoy themselves while they're doing it they're actually not necessarily even noticing that they're playing in a way that might be seen as sparse or different um, because they don't have uh, the toys. They, they're still applying all the same principles of play there with their sticks and, and the rocks and the bits of stuff that they can find. Yeah, and I think when we live in this environment now of just an overabundance of stuff and we know our feelings about that, and how we we can all feel overwhelmed, yet we can't kind of escape this feeling that because we have more, we need to give our kids more and that more toys equals more play or more toys equals more happiness. And I guess mm. I really wanted to explore this idea of play a little bit because when we understand that play comes from, you know, children using their creativity, their imagination, that it's not actually coming from the amount of stuff around them, then I think it makes it easier for us down the track to let go of some of their items and not feel like we're doing them a disservice. Yeah, exactly. Because play, like you said earlier, play and toys um, don't have to be the same thing 
Yeah, that's right. And play can be, it can, play can, you can have the benefits of all of the, well, you're going to talk, we're going to talk about what play does for children. Um, and you can have all of those benefits of play uh, with um, less toys than what we tend to give our children. Yeah, so I guess play is critically important for kids. We all know that. It keeps them physically active, even when they're doing things that maybe don't involve a lot of running around or a lot of moving around. You know, quite often it can be fine motor skills and stuff that are still being used. But the more physically active their play is, obviously that can become really key with the epidemic of childhood obesity that's going on at the moment. But it also exercises their minds and their creativity. So I think when we start talking later in this episode about acquisition of toys, we need to remember that that play is not just about keeping a child quiet in the corner for an hour while we stroll Although through social nice. media. Yeah. <laughs> but it's but it's about keeping them mentally and physically active. It's about enhancing their creativity it's about learning through play and learning how the world around them works um through play kids end up learning about actions and consequences I mean how many times have kids done what we would think is completely idiotic (laughs) things (laughs) during play you know in terms of stacking things on top of each other and then trying to stand on it and then falling off or you know, spilling things, making messes, all of that kind of exploration just teaches them about consequences. And although I love the consequences that don't involve a lot of mess, uh, (laughs) the kids still learn (laughs) stuff from that. So I think that triumph, failure, all the modelling of adult behaviour, there's so much stuff kind of encompassed in Mm. playing for kids. Um, And the fact that they they can do all that, you know, and most of us listening to this podcast I live in an environment where kids can explore and develop these skills in a secure and safe environment. And I think that's kind of when you strip it all back, that's the basics of it. So, you know, try and keep that in mind when you're... Yeah. And another thing that play will teach children how to do is to work together. And when they're when they're really little, children don't play together. They They parallel play alongside each other. But over time they start to interact and they interact mostly through play. I mean, they don't have much else to interact with each other on really because they're kids. And so it's not like they're going to go to work together or anything like that. They're, they're going to play together. And so what, what play will teach them is how to communicate with another human being, how to negotiate, how to understand another person's intentions, how to understand their language and their emotion and their actions, uh, how to interpret those, uh, how to behave in a way that um, is cooperative. Um, but on the flip side, oh, and how to experience, um, what was another thing I was going to say? Oh, resolve conflict and um, solve problem solve and negotiate and all those kinds of things. But it's also really helpful for children to learn how to play by themselves and playing enables them to experience time alone as well using their imagination and um, what else? I I guess it gives them a chance to build confidence in their own abilities because when Mm. they play on their own, there's there's no one around to comment or to judge or to say, um, that's not how you do it. So I think, you know, mm. getting kids when they're on their own, if they 
hit a snag with something they're trying to to do or figure out or join two pieces together or build a sandcastle or whatever it is, if they can't quite get it right, it's up to them to fix it. And sometimes Mm. they can't, but sometimes they can. And then like you can almost see the confidence well up inside of them. Like I sorted that out, whether they're aware of that or not. And Mm. most often they're probably not, but it's all those little steps that they take that encourages their independence and things like that. And so I know there's, we could do a whole episode on helicopter parenting, couldn't we? <laughs> but yeah. um, it's, it's that idea of, you know, you don't have to always, if you've got an only child or if you've got multiple children but only one at home at a time and they're playing, you don't always have to interact with them. And a lot of the time they will learn so much more about playing on their mm. own. Yeah, yeah. And it's... Being able to occupy oneself without external stimulation is an important skill. Yeah, well, you can see a lot of, I don't want to classify millennials, but a lot of younger people these days, and it might even be younger than millennials, but have always had people around or when they were on their own, there was always TV or Mm. music or Um, lots of play dates yeah screens Mm. there was sports after school activities there was you know kind of the last 20 years we've felt this overarching desire to fill all the spare time and so there's a lot of people that really struggle now to be on their own and then you know so what do we do we try and connect through social media and we all know how that ends you know you still you feel more isolated so I think teaching at that you know young young age teaching kids how to be in their own company and enjoy it, I think that's really important. Yeah, and that ties in with boredom as well and mm. and how we, and even I think I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this, I have a very low tolerance for boredom and I, I'm trying to get better at it. I'm trying to turn it into opportunities for, you know, meditation or just looking up and looking around, but I know that, Lots of people have, um, especially children, do not tolerate boredom. And with like parenting at them these days, where we're really stretched, you know, we're expected to do everything perfectly. We're expected to work and um, earn money and provide a a home, a happy home, and a safe environment where we have to do everything responsibly. We're all recycling, we're all buying, and we're all making sure that we're raising our children a certain way. And we're just so overloaded with things to do that we do the same with our kids and we busy them up um, and there's always something that is happening and there isn't any opportunity for children to develop tolerance for boredom and as adults and parents we don't have any tolerance for our children being bored either and I do know that you know watching families in restaurants with the kids on their screens and we all know what would happen if the kids weren't on their screens is that that poor those poor parents would not enjoy their meal probably at all because the kids would be bored and playing up. And so if the kids can't be bored, then the parents can't relax in certain environments and need to then keep their children stimulated, which then reinforces that whole lack of ability to be bored. And so it's just a vicious cycle. Uh, so I think that... Um, Boredom is something that I think is important for children to learn how to to tolerate as well. Yeah, I I think some of the best 
things come out of boredom. And I mm. said to my girls only recently, they were like, we're bored. And I'm like, mm. oh, how cool to be bored. You know, like how <laughs> yeah. good is that? And they're like rolling their eyes. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> mum. I said, this just gives you a chance. Go outside, create something. So they went out. I, I don't know what it came up with, but quite often they will come up with a game or they'll choreograph a dance or they'll dress the mm. dog up or they'll, you know, they'll do something. They'll come up with some creative activity when they're bored. They always do. Yeah, unless you create the space for that though, mm. there's there's no chance for them to to use their imagination or use their creativity. Um, mm. There's a... It's amazing. Oh, I was just going to say before you say that, um, there's quite a few, you'll see quite a few social media posts um, with great big messes or... Um, constructions in living rooms and in backyards and the parent has usually titled it with this is what happens when you turn off the screens and it's so true if I say to my kids okay no more screens you have to spend at least a few hours away from a screen they will come up with something to do and it's usually something creative the paints will come out the lego will come out they'll be running around in the backyard they'll get out a card game or a board game and something always comes out there's always there's there's initial like rolling of eyes like you were saying but it doesn't take long before something comes out and things start happening and it's not nothing that I've told them to do I've just said you have to get off the screens and the rest is up to them and something always turns up. Mm. So there's a parenting expert by the name of Maggie Dent and she puts it quite well she says that boredom is something that can be quite uncomfortable for children so I guess that kind of parallels our feeling as adults when we're bored And so she says if we don't put anything in their hands or create something for them because they're feeling uncomfortable that they're motivated then to fix the boredom by creating something Mm. for themselves. Which is just what I was saying. It happens, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So so often we're way too quick to jump in and try and solve their boredom for them. And I know I'm Because their boredom is annoying for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I'm definitely guilty of this. I'm like, okay, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about And I'll give them five options. Sometimes they'll take one and go with it. But then I'm like, that's just, it's it's not a screen, but it's still not giving them the space to come up with a solution themselves. So, Hmm. Um, So I guess the bottom line of all of that is that children need to play, but play doesn't just mean lots of toys and we really need to kind of separate that, those ideas that play equals toys and more toys equals more play. Yeah, and more toys equals more happiness or better kids. Yeah, um, and that, yeah, that kids will, if you rate them on a scale of happiness, that the more they have or the better their toys are, the better they will be or the happier they will be. And that's just mm. not the case. Yeah. Um, so t- having too many toys can lead to overwhelm and distraction, things like reduced quality playtime because there's so many options. Yeah. I remember us talking about this a while ago, I think way back near the start where we did an episode on uncluttered kids and we touched on toys. And there was a few stats around. There's that well-known British stat that every or the average British child has 238 toys but plays with just 12 of them daily or about mm. 5%, which is quite mind-blowing. 
That's a lot of toys. Are they counting every single piece of Lego? Because I feel like they have to to get that many toys. I think, <laughs> or is it just I my don't kids don't have would. that many? I don't know. I think it would be things like, you know, children that every time they go to McDonald's get the Happy Meal uh, and then all yeah. of a sudden there's a box with 35 figurines yeah, of random things that no one plays with. And <laughs> I would say I would say that's pretty pretty close. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um. I'm so, like it's out of toy praise. We've decoded the most toys, so I'm a bit out of touch. Yeah, with, you've repressed all that. those memories of <laughs> <laughs> gramnesia therapy in uh, yeah. a few years' time. <laughs> so researchers in Ohio at the University of Toledo, uh, they found that kids were far more creative when they had fewer toys to play with. So I think what they did was put a group of kids in a room with six toys and a group of kids in a room with 16 toys or something like that. And the kids that had less toys uh, sat and would play with each one for longer and get into, you know, a greater depth of play and, you know, Mm -hmm. carry the story along with that toy a lot further and for a lot longer. Then the kids that had more toys on offer would kind of jump from one to the other and then feel like they'd done everything quickly and were done. Mm and then there was that experiment. Now, you know more about this than I do about the oh, yeah. um, German yeah. daycare centre. Yeah. This was, um, these, these researchers, um, Schubert and Strick, they were actually studying, they're studying addiction and early indicators of later addiction. And interestingly, they decided to study children and their toys and how that relates to addiction. And so what they did as part of that that whole field is they did one study with these German classrooms of uh, preschoolers and they took all of the toys away from one of the classrooms and they kept one normal as a control and they watched basically what happened. And they I think they tested the kids developmentally at the start and then at the end and the experiment did show quite a lot of developmental advantages um, for the children that had had no toys for those few months. And I think after the experiment about out of the, I think there were 30 odd children in the classroom and around, oh, tw- I'm, I'm probably making this up, but it was a higher number, like 20 to 25 of the kids didn't want the toys back. So there were there was a, a much smaller percentage than inspe- expected of children that wanted all of the toys back, which I thought that was really interesting. Mm. And I guess we're not advocating for no toys. Please don't listen to this episode and then go and <laughs> go and bin all your children's toys. I guess or it's just... if you can if you want though. <laughs> I can't, yeah, let us I'm know. You can do your own experiment and let us know yeah. how it goes. <laughs> yeah. But um, I guess the the point is understand that more doesn't equal better and Mm. so we're going to talk a bit about acquisition now and how you can acquire kids toys bearing all that information in mind and being able to bring things into your house with intention that enrich your kids play experience without causing them distraction or overwhelm and things like that yeah and that's the thing I think if you do want to if you do want to reduce your kids toys based on the evidence that we've just been talking about of the benefits of reducing your toys, then this the research really does help. And I, I tell clients this all the time. Um, whenever there's an overwhelming amount of toys, I tell them the research because so many parents feel overwhelmed by the volume of toys and they want to get rid of them but they feel guilty. Uh, and I think that understanding 
that you're not actually doing your children any harm by taking, even if you took all of your, all of the toys away, apart from a couple that they're attached to, which might hurt them. But even if you took a really large percentage of the toys away, over the long term, that's not going to harm the children, provided they had input into what left, of course, we do prefer children to have input into what leaves but my point is i'm rambling but my point is that if you are guilty about encouraging your children to declutter don't be because it's actually good for them and all are so much research there's a large body of research that supports that so you can sort of turn the guilt off i think yeah and look when we get back next week and talk about decluttering i think we'll try and explore a few of the areas and we'll talk through you know the best ways to start where to focus your attention and how to help walk your kids through that process and avoid some of that guilt that you're feeling. Um, So today we'll try and limit it to just acquiring new toys because otherwise this episode would be four hours long, (laughs) wouldn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, toys, that's a big one. It is. So I think the place to start is probably just by setting limits. So the amount of space or the amount of baskets or the amount of rooms that your toys are in find a limit that works for you and works for your kids and works for all the members in your family and set it and then be really firm with that that limit or that boundary so some examples of limits might be that you have they have one bookcase for books they have um, one tub for dress-ups they have three boxes of Lego. Uh, they have um, one box for their action figures um, and they might have a over-the-door shoe rack full of Barbies and that's their, their limit. So anything that doesn't fit into the limit that is set for that particular category or for toys in general, but you can go down to category level as well, then they, they can't get any more. So the acquisition stop when those um, boundaries are full and if you do want to acquire then they have to engage in a one in one out kind of activity yeah I think another way that you can be really clear with limits is by reducing the amount of times in the year where your children receive new toys so yeah for sure as they get as they get older I think this naturally happens anyway it gets you know a lot of kids you know, look forward to birthdays and Christmases and probably because as they get older quite often the things they want are more expensive. So you wouldn't just buy them because you're walking through the store and they were like, oh, I want that. Um, Yeah, true. (laughs) But I I think the sooner you introduce your kids to the fact that birthdays and Christmases, well, that's what it is in our house. Other people it might be Easter and Halloween or, you know, or whatever times of the year you choose to gift to your children it firstly gives them something to look forward to which is good but also it means they're less likely to buy into the fads and the phases because if my kid is into a Furby in February well their birthdays aren't till mid-year so they if they're not still into it in June (laughs) they're not getting a Furby and quite often by March, they've forgotten about the Furby and they're on to the next thing. And so it's like it kind of stops all these things that are, you know, got a really short level of interest or time. I don't yeah. know what the word I'm trying to say is there. <laughs> I know what you mean though. So, yeah, yeah it, it, you just, you're, yeah, I know what you mean. I think the listeners will know what you mean as well. But, um, yeah, tr- finding, setting 
rules around the way your family does things is really important so that you can just fall back on those rules and it's like this is just the way we do things and you know other families might do it a certain way but this is the way that we do it and that's just we do that because that's the that's what our values are and so it's the same at um we're the same as you with just birthdays and christmas uh, occasionally there's i think there's an easter present i think i get i can't try to remember now but i usually the kids get a book or a dvd at easter um from us each and but the rest of the time they yeah they have to wait and so you know instead of buying something every time we went to the sh- the shop uh, they would have to wait and it just wasn't the done thing there it just wasn't the normal thing done and so we would go through um Kmart or Target or something like that and of course they would ask for stuff and they know though that the answer is no you've got enough toys and if you really want to you can write it on your birthday list or christmas list and you know maybe uh, Santa will bring it or something like that and so that became that was just the normal and they they never expected to get anything and I think when kids also have to wait for things that's really a good life skill because you know people who know how to wait for things um, people who have impulse control generally have um, greater success later in life again there's more studies that I've read but I can't remember them off the top of my head but it's all related to a, a grit and, uh, and it's all related to resilience. But if they have a delayed gratification or they have impulse control, they, they're more successful. And having to wait to receive things that they want is practising that impulse control and it also fosters gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. And what, now that my girls are getting older, I have this amazing thing called pocket money where <laughs> when there's junk that they want, they wouldn't classify it as junk, but I would. Things like we're at the zoo last week and, you know, the toy shop bit oh, at the yes. end of the zoo that you have to walk through to get out. <laughs> and they're like, I want this, you know, key ring or this teddy or the snow globe with the leopard in it, whatever it mm. is. I'm like, yeah, well, you you know, I anticipate this now. I say we'll walk through the shop at the end of the zoo. If you guys want to take any money, take it along because I'm not buying you anything. And so now... My kids earn pocket money on a weekly basis by doing a whole lot of chores. And then, you know, at the moment they're both saving for things, so they neither of them decided to take money. But mm. I can just flip it around and go, well, I'm not buying you that. It's not your birthday. It's not Christmas. If there's something here you'd like me to put on your list, just absolutely let me know. I'll take a photo of it. <laughs> and then <laughs> I'm like, but if you want anything from here, you spend your own money. And when it's their money, they're like, oh. <gasps> I'm not spending twelve dollars on right. a snow globe. Yeah, exactly. They get all they get all um, stingy. I was just about yeah. to say the same thing. My kids are the same. It's like, well, you can spend the money, and I've got two quite stingy kids. So they're like, no, nah, I'm like, you know, and quite often they'll say, "Are you sure you can't buy it?" You know, like an early birthday present. I'm like, no, you, you buy it, and then of course they don't. So less stuff comes in the house, which is awesome. Yeah, the other way you can set limits is by limiting the the number of items. So it might be hard when it's you know you can't say you can only have one thousand two hundred Lego bricks. <laughs> who's going to go and count them? But things like it might be that yeah you can only have you've got three tubs um, for Lego yeah. and that's it. And yeah. so, um, but you can you apply know, the number of items to maybe collections or categories. So yep. for example, you you might say okay you can have. Barbie, but you can't have Barbie and Bratz and American 
what's her face so you know there's the one catch so they pick one or the other and mm-hmm. so that's their that's their um the category that they can have um and so you can using the number of items for that you can say a number of categories and then within that category you use the boundary of space so you can say okay we well, can have barbies and you can have you know, barbies is the only doll and then you can have one tub of barbies and so you've got like two boundaries there um c- mm-hmm. controlling the volume of stuff so when you kids are asking for things during your non-purchasing time and I guess the easier you start implementing that you only give to your kids at certain times of the year the quicker they'll catch on and their expectations will be in the right place and then you'll stop getting the questions when you're out um so I guess yeah the sooner you do that the better and I don't think kids are ever too old to to learn you can say oh look we've you know we've changed our mind about the way we do things now and what we'd rather do instead of buying you a little thing every time we're at the store you might get an extra birthday present this year whether they do or not that's your call but you know (laughs) phrase it in a way that that they understand why yeah yeah Yeah. this is what we're doing because mum and dad are going crazy because you never pick up after yourself or because there's too many toys or because we're stressed out or because we're moving to a smaller house all those reasons um so this is what we're doing now and this is the way Mm -hmm. it is and there are going to be tantrums and there's going to be pushback and all of that and there always will but never there's a change but it doesn't take long for them to settle into that and understand that it's that's the new normal and they forget what the old normal was fairly quickly and if you're in the store and your kid is having a tantrum because you won't buy them a toy the only people judging you are the parents that buy always buy their kids the toys (laughs) the other mums and dads that say no no we only buy for you at certain times of the year they're all like "Mm mm-hmm they're I hear you. They've got your back. All right. <laughs> yeah. So don't be worried about that. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. So yeah, when then when kids, you know, if you're walking through a store and they go, "Oh, I love that," I, I thank goodness for my phone. Now I will just take photos when they were younger. I guess I had my phone, but quite often I would just write stuff down mm. and think, "Oh, they really liked that mermaid doll or the towel with the seahorse on it or the whatever," so mm. that. As it got closer to Christmases and birthdays, I wasn't thinking I'll just do a, you know, race through Target or Kmart and swipe everything off the shelf in in the pink <laughs> aisle. It would be like, right. Sounds these are like the- you speak from experience. <laughs> yeah. I, I will just pick 10 things that are, they've said they wanted through the year and say, look, Grandma, this is the towel that they want. Look, cousin this is what they're after you know and kind of divvy a few of those things up so they get a whole lot of stuff that they want and that they've asked for and then Mm. other people aren't buying them a whole lot of rubbish either yeah yeah and that sort of leads into other people because I get a lot of people especially in my workshop saying that's all well and good but what about the grandparents that keep giving them stuff all the time every time they come over they bring them more stuff every time there's any event of any kind they bring them more stuff and at Christmas and birthdays they give them so much stuff and uh, so that's always a real issue for a lot of families is that the grandparents unfortunately love them to death through present giving Mm. I will quite often say talk to the the grandparents about what you're feeling and what you're experiencing at home because Mm. they want to treat their grandkids that's really natural and you're not telling them to not do that just reframe it and put it in a way that makes it easy for them to do it in a different way so maybe say look we we're really trying to cut down on the amount of toys that are coming in but 
Sam wants to start karate lessons next term and it's just not in our budget. So would you consider as his gift giving him money towards that and then maybe if you want to spoil him at some stage, buy him his his, his outfit or his uniform or whatever they wear to karate, you know, and then and then every week when the, when Sam gets home from karate, take a photo and send it to your parents and say, look how happy he is, this is the gift that keeps giving kind of thing. Yeah. It only takes one or two instances of that and they will be on the exper- buying an experience bandwagon. Definitely. Um, I think you just have to be really honest about where you're coming from. Don't, you're not yeah. being ungrateful, you're just trying to change your habits. Yeah, that's right. And and explaining as well that it's better for the kids and it's actually quite good from a relationship perspective, a perspective as well because if you as grandparents, if they give the child an experience and they actually share that experience with them, that's another mm. relationship building experience as well. So you're both giving the child a, a gift to show that you love them but you're also experiencing that with them and so you both end up with those memories of that time and of that experience. And, again, I, I, I always say this, I think it's one of my most common said phrases but studies show <laughs> that we actually experience, um, we, we get more happiness from experiences than from belongings and items and that's true for kids as well and they will yeah. remember as they get older they'll remember the experiences more than they will remember the gifts so well and the thing is as a parent where you feel kind of stuck between your parent and your child and you know not wanting to interfere give your parent their grandparent the answers rather than just saying we, we don't yeah. want more stuff like say to them what he'd really love is for you to go see a movie with him or he'd he'd love it if you just came over and taught him how to make lamingtons or you know whatever it is like give them a few ideas um not that you just say thanks no more toys hmm. you go here's you know here's some suggestions for he would just love to spend time with you take him for a walk why don't you take him fruit picking you know like we've both talked about clutter-free gifts and that there's things that don't cost any money but sometimes you need to spell it out for people and give them your reason as well just like you did with your child and and then just ask them to support you in that but don't always just give them the problem try and give them a few solutions as well so that they don't have to guess yeah there are some difficulties with that for some people especially those grandparents that live interstate or family members that live interstate it's hard for them to know what experiences are valid where you live and it's hard for them harder for them to share those experiences with them but it can still be done Uh, sometimes you can just save up a whole year's worth of presents and then take the kids away for a weekend or um, you can like you said with the classes you know it's something that you can enjoy from afar because you get to see photos of them doing their horse riding lessons every week and they're reminded that it's you know you that's done the horse riding lessons and things like that so if you can support people that aren't living in the same area to uh, with ideas that will help them as well because they will find it a bit more difficult than uh, relatives that live close by. So we've had a question from Renee in our Facebook community about how do you acquire with intention when kids receive gifts from others for birthdays or Christmases or bring home party bags and party favours? So like we discussed with the grandparents, if the people are close enough to you for birthdays and Christmases that you can explain to them what your child is after, give them a list, 
Um, there's also, like I know on um, places like Amazon and uh, websites like that, you can create a wish list. So you could go through, you know, a bit like um, a bridal registry or whatever, you know, create your wish list. You can do it on some of the bookshop sites as well and then send that link to your family and they go, oh, great, Johnny wants these seven books. I'll buy him that one. You buy him that one. And they cross them off the list as they buy them. And then Johnny gets all the books that he wants. Um, so there's those kind of things. Otherwise, if you're, I I've always think it's quite tricky with um, birthday parties when your child has a party and, you know, five or ten or the whole class comes and some of them don't know much about your child at all, depending on how big the classes are um, and how many you've got coming. And some of the junk that gets given is just insane. So one thing I would consider doing, you can go, online and Google, you know, poems that you can pop with the invitations that say things like, we would like your presence, not your presence. Or you can say, instead of gifts for Johnny, can you please, we would love if you would make a donation to our local animal shelter, or we would love it if you would make a donation to somewhere else. Mm. Um, Or you could be really specific and say, Johnny is saving for a laptop. So a voucher um, for this store would be, all cash would be really greatly received. And I know it seems kind of odd to put it out there and ask, but as a mum of a kid or of two kids that go to birthday parties, the kids that we know well, I think I find it easy and my kids find it easy to come up with a good gift for them. But the ones that it's like an all class party, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know this kid. What are we going to get them? Um, if so, if it's said in there, please, you know, buy them or get them a gift voucher for the bookstore. I'd be like, oh yes, my yeah. prayers are answered. I don't have to think. I can just go. So I think we kind of feel a bit put out by being upfront about it. But most parents, I think, would welcome that. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of the Fiverr parties? No. Ooh. So it's kind of a enlighten me. A newish thing. And I wish it had been around when my kids were little because I think I love it. I love the idea of it. But basically a fiver party is that you don't take gifts or bring gifts. Uh, you just bring a card with a nice message in it and a five dollar note. And it's a small amount of money, which means that it's affordable for everyone. Cause you know how sometimes you know, you, if you've got a real tight budget and your kids invited to a party and everyone's taking 40 or $50 presents and mm. your budget is $15, you kind of feel a bit uncomfortable about that. Whereas so it's everyone, no matter how much money they have, all brings a $5 note and then the child can choose how they spend that money. So they can either put it towards something that they're saving up for, they can donate it to a charity, they can split it and donate some. And, you know, if, you, if you've if you had a fiver party and your kid's got, you know, um, let's say $100 because half most of the class came then they could and they decided to donate uh, $50 to an animal shelter and put $50 in their savings when they they can write a thank you and say you know your money went towards the RSPCA or whatever it is and uh, so that feels mm-hmm. good as well communicating that that message to others about um, donating and giving is sort of can spread the spread the love a little bit as well and and I just think it's I think it's a really good idea because it's just so much less 
unwanted things coming into your house. And it's a lesson for the kids on how to, what to do with the money that they've received, uh, how to spend it responsibly or how to save it responsibly. Or, you know, you, you spend a little, you save a little and you give a little, you know, that kind of that kind of mm-hmm. philosophy as well. You can you can put all of those lessons into that and the equality of it. I love the equality of it. It's yeah, great. And it's really not good. a burden on the other parents. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that. That's a yeah. good idea. You can Google it. There's a lot of people who hate it, um, but I like it. The question from Renee about party favours or party bags, and because they always, we talked about this recently, they always contain that junk, mm-hmm. <laughs> that plastic stuff that snaps or breaks really easily or gets home and gets shoved in the junk drawer and doesn't get looked at. If you don't want your your kids bringing home a bag, a pla- usually a plastic bag full of plastic mm. cheap party favours, feel free to decline this when you RSVP. And, mm. again, it's that whole thing of could I do that? Absolutely you could do that. Um, all you've got to do is say, you know, thanks so much. She'd love to come to the party. My family is trying hard at the moment to reduce our consumption of plastic or my family is trying hard to eliminate clutter in our house at the moment, so can we please opt out of the party bag or can we please opt out of having things in the party bag that not edible. aren't consumable? <laughs> yeah, so if it's lollies and a piece of cake, cool, yep, the kid can bring it home and eat it, but if it's, you know, the little um sticky man that you throw at the wall and then he tumbles down (laughs) like Uh, no no and then he gets stuck behind the couch and collects dust and then you find him two years later and get an awful fright yeah (laughs) or he gets stuck in the vacuum cleaner (laughs) yeah gross (laughs) actually they could do a lot of damage to a vacuum cleaner that's a lot of you'd have to Mm. spend a bit of time fixing that um so yeah i think i think you can you can opt out and i one of the hard bits with this is convincing your kid that opting out is okay because if they go to a party, 10 other kids get a party bag with toys and they don't. So mm. sometimes you have to figure out what they would prefer. So um, I know that I will completely, um, hands up, I bribe my kids with all sorts of stuff. So things like McDonald's, my kids haven't had McDonald's uh, Happy Meal toys for a very long time because the deal was if we went to McDonald's, you could either get a Sunday or a toy, not both. Mm-hmm. My kids were like, whatever, I don't want a toy. Give me the ice cream, man. <laughs> so that was really easy because I knew my kids loved Sundays and that was the deal. There was no choices one or the other. So the toys were never, never taken. Yeah. So that was great. So if you want to say to your kid, look, we're going to say no to the party bag because we don't want that junk, but you know what? I'm going to give you five dollars to put in your piggy bank instead to go towards that big toy that you're having you know kind of like a buyback scheme (laughs) or i promise not to eat all your lollies if you (laughs) yes (laughs) as i know that the parents tend to eat most of the lollies in the lolly bag well i know i always did Um, so you could say i promise i won't eat any of your lollies in the lolly bag if you (laughs) um don't have the toy in it or something like that Um, yeah and you can that you can get the kids as well. Like this is the thing with kids is that they are very environmentally conscious and socially conscious and you can explain to them exactly why you're doing what you're doing and they might opt out all by themselves. You might not even need to bribe them. You might just say to them, um, you have enough toys and if you bring one of those little toys home in the lolly bag, you'll have to get rid of one of the toys that you already own. So 
don't be afraid to say to the parent of the person, can I just have lollies in my bag, please? I don't need the toy. And you can give it to someone who does need a new toy. Mm-hmm. And quite often, you know, the kids are their kids are pretty good like that. And I've been brainwashing my children for years, and I think it's working. Uh, in that, you know, <laughs> it, and I do. It is sort of I call I call it training, but it's it's pretty much brainwashing where I've sort of been pumping the ideas in their head about the consumerism and about things that don't make you happy. And and they'll often comment um, about other kids who have more stuff than them. And I'm really quite proud when I hear them comment in a way that isn't woe is me. So, you know, they might say something like, oh, such and such has got the brand new iPhone. And instead of complaining about theirs, which at the moment Zoe's phone is terrible, it's dying on her, you know, three times a day and the charge is all wrong and everything like that and it's an old phone and, you know, she's a little bit tired of it. But she has not complained about what other kids have got and I think that just comes from like a lifetime of being told you have enough and you don't Mm. need the best and so sometimes you know if you can brainwash them enough and and teach them that you know life isn't all about having the best and having a lot of things they're actually then will take it on board quite well if your kids are used to the idea that they just don't get stuff much then it just it's a normal for them. They're not going to complain and they're going to actually be really happy to opt out themselves of things like bringing home plastic rubbish. And if you want to, I've got visions of the mum who has the child in the trolley. They're used to getting something every time they go out. If you want to try and wean them off of it, wean them yeah. off by giving them something consumable first. So say, oh, we're not going to buy any toys, but I'll buy you, yeah. you know, a chocolate bar or a freddo frog or i'll buy you a yeah apple. something from the bakery <laughs> if on your the kids way are happy with apples <laughs> you know like but but you can so turn it into a consumable first so if you know they're still happy to go home with something mm-hmm. then that they might still feel like they're treated and then it might be well if you've got good behavior this time and don't get anything the next time you might get an apple <laughs> or whatever <laughs> it is but, and I don't think my kids would fall for that. I'd have to go with with, with a Freddo frog yeah. or something. When but, they're you know, really like, little, you could. Can, yeah. Yeah. yeah babies. Can, I remember Ethan eating mushrooms as we we're going around the supermarket to keep him quiet. <laughs> I'd just give him a couple of mushrooms and like chew on this mushroom all the way around. And there's no way I could get away with that later. Poor, poor child. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you can, I mean, come up with a, a plan that works for you, but don't feel like, uh, we're trapped in that cycle of they always get something, yeah. I'll never get out of it. you just got to work out a way that, yeah. that works for you and works for them. I have a story. Um, I had a lady attend a workshop once and we talked about, and I talked about this exact thing about um, reducing the amount of stuff that comes in by not giving kids toys every time you go shopping. And she said, oh, she came up to me afterwards and she said, I'm definitely going to do that. And then I saw her a couple of months later at another workshop. She came and attended another one on a different topic. And she came up to me afterwards and she said, I need to tell you something. I had, uh, I implemented the no more toys when shopping rule and, or I attempted to implement this rule. And I was shopping with my son and I think he was about seven or eight. And she said, I went shopping with him and I told him we're not getting any toys because that's just not what we do. And I think it was the first time that she had done it since the workshop and she was like, right, this is it. And they got in the car or they got home and they realized he'd stolen something. So he was <gasps> so, he was so fixated on having something that when she said no, he just grabbed something and put it in his pocket. And she said to me, and I was waiting to see what she said. And I thought she would say something like, that just means it's, there's no hope. You know, he's, he's 
I can't yep. stop toys because he's going to steal things. But she actually said to me that just showed me how much we needed to wean him off getting things. If he could go to that extent and steal something when he knew he shouldn't, um, that means that we absolutely have to continue with this new way of being. And and so I was really happy that she said that, that she was going to persist with it. And then she said it did get better and um, it's certainly not, it's still, they still, still um, maybe throw a tantrum, or he still might ask for things and stuff. But uh, he's he's not stealing them anymore. And it was just, yeah, it was like, wow, that's interesting mm. how attached he was to to getting the belongings. And and she saw that as a sign of persistent of needing to persist, which was really cool. Yeah, I mean, we think about it as adults, and you know that dopamine rush we get when we yeah. buy something new and we get a you know, a new pair of shoes or some new gadget. And it's the same for our kids. The only thing is we're enabling that with them because they can't pay for it themselves. So, you know, we need to stop enabling them and wean them off of it yeah. and then they'll have a new path. Yeah. We would never give our children a little bit of heroin in every morning. So why would we buy them toys every time we go shopping? You can get addicted to shopping just as much as you can get addicted to drugs. And even though mm-hmm. I'm obviously ridiculously extreme there in that example, that we're still, like you said, we're still we're still feeding them that drug and then we're uh, enabling the whole situation ourselves. Mm. And then, you know, you have to almost feel sorry for them, almost, mm-hmm. because then we get cranky when they've got too yeah. much stuff yeah. and it stresses and us out. And their and we're fault. Like, well, <laughs> they haven't, they don't have the credit card statement and the you know the means to to pay for all this stuff that you know we're the ones or we're letting other people bring it in and so we need to stand back take control yeah exactly so when we're talking about the types of toys um we bring in I want you to take the time to appraise what you're buying you know before you purchase so say you've decided it's an appropriate time to buy your kids a toy or something I think Check the quality because we all know that, you know, one good quality toy is far, far better than lots of cheap stuff that breaks. Mm. Um, And, you know, sometimes that means you get one good quality thing for the same amount of money as two junkier things, but chances are the kid will play with it for longer and it will stand the test of time. Yeah, and it could be reused later on when they've grown out of it and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, I would say as well also have a think like we've mentioned the environmental impact of the production and disposal of that toy, whether it's something that's going to last a long time or not, um, possibly the ethics of manufacturing. If uh, you're interested in that kind of thing, that's another way you can think about what you bring into your home. Um, tell us about closed-end and open-ended toys. Yeah, so I think I didn't know about this these terms when my kids were quite young, I feel like it's something that came in to my mind or my knowledge when they st- my eldest Sienna started at a daycare centre and they were using the terms mm. and I had to ask them to please explain. <laughs> and so closed-ended toys, uh, they can be quite good for attention building and they have the ability for a child to... Um, develop the skill to complete a problem or see a problem through but effectively a closed-ended toy is something that has an end point Um, 
they so it's like a puzzle so you it has a start mm-hmm. um you put it together and then it naturally comes to an end when the puzzle is complete yeah. it's finished it's so that yes so they're close close-ended toys they have one function they have have a specific outcome i guess mm. so and even things like um if they're a character or a doll from a tv series there's like a there's a preset storyline if it's spider-man if you have a figurine of spider-man you already know who he is what his powers are what he can and can't do he's spider-man so his storyline is already determined if it's doc mcstuffins that little vet character (laughs) she's a vet that's what she does we know that about her already so they can kind of be quite limiting for the kids imagination they're not they're definitely not bad um but you just don't want all close-ended toys in your arsenal of Mm. of toy wear for your kids because the kids will play with them but often they complete them or complete the story and then they move on to the next activity and there's no you know reiteration of picking that toy up and doing something different because it's always the same outcome and they could maybe if they um had a really strong imagination they could reuse that so spider-man could go on a date with barbie um and you could write a new story for him, but that doesn't tend to happen uh, when there are a lot of toys and a lot of options. And so, like you said, if they've finished with that particular story, instead of having to persist with that and create a new story, they can put it down and move on to the next toy. If they've only got a limited amount of toys, then they might persist with the story. So that's where, you know, you would find that they they might do that, but they're not going to do that if there are a lot of toys available to them. Yeah, and so even things like books, which we all know are great for kids to have, they are still what you would consider a close-ended toy because you get to the end of the book. And some children would go back to the start and reread, but most would be like, okay, done, activity complete, what's the next thing? So that contrasts with an open-ended toy, which have many iterations, and these are the ones that encourage imagination, encourage problem-solving, and kind of have that longevity of play so open-ended toys I guess you would define as toys that are not limited by what they are so something like we mentioned Lego before Mm. a Lego set that comes to be built into a specific scene I would say is closed-ended but those buckets of just creator bricks yeah could be anything they could be built into a treehouse or a car or a plane or a rainbow or whatever there's no limit they can be reused. You can choose for a a Lego set to become that later on, um, but you mm-hmm. depends on the child and it depends on you. There, I know some parents that are quite um, particular about sets staying together, and so if you are particular, if you or the child are particular about the set staying together, then that ends up a closed ended toy. But if you are quite happy, and if the child is quite happy for them to make the Jurassic World, and then for it to be pulled apart and thrown in with all the other Lego to be used for imaginative play later, it becomes an open ended one after that. Mm. And so, things like uh, pieces of cloth or sheets and things like that for dress ups, oh, people's clothes. Um, you know, it might be parents or grandparents' old clothes that you use as dress-ups. The, all those bits of fabric, they can become forts. They can be, you know, in the case of, you know, a sheet, it could be used to create a fort. They might wrap around their neck and use it as a cape for a dress-up. Yeah. They might Make wrap their baby in it as a blanket. Yeah. yeah. You know, create 
part of a set or a scene if they're doing a play it could be the waterfall or it could be the river or something like that you know there's so many iterations Mm. with something as fabric as a sheet and cars or vehicles those kind of things that aren't necessarily if it's not the batmobile i don't know why i'm picking on superheroes i'm sorry (laughs) but you know the batmobile again it kind of has a storyline if the kid has read the books or seen the movies they will think i know what this car is i know what it can do if it's just a whole lot of generic little cars those cars could do anything maybe today they can fly maybe tomorrow they will be invisible maybe you know and it's that whole thing of kids just taking their imagination and and creating a story from that mm. blocks which is sort of associated with lego but blocks are good for that as well and uh, even i don't know like a train set a train set that you can move around the pieces that would that be that's no that's yeah. a bit closed as well isn't it well i think no i think train sets if they're if if they're building the track themselves i think it can be quite open because it doesn't have to end re- does yeah, it yeah requires yeah creativity and it might be you know it's it can be different every time mm. um i think the train sets that are limited you know the ones on the little tables yeah that they're already um, made up when, because they're already made and so it's kind of the same track or it can only be so big. You know, my kids used to do train tracks um, up and down the hallway that kind mm. of started at one end and they didn't loop around and they would, you know, push the trains from one end to see how far down the track they could get and then put a marker there. <laughs> I think they were pegs or something as a measuring and then they'd start with the next one, see which train would get the furthest. You know, things like that. I think train sets have a bit more uh, opportunity to be open-ended. Yeah. Um, it's a different art supplies, you know, clearly open-ended because there's so many opportunities for, for things with that. Even things like kitchens and, you know, food sets, that kind of stuff can be really open-ended because they have to make up a story to play along. Yeah. And it might be that every time they do that, it's them and their best friend or they're being playing mums and dads and here's the baby and it's dinner time. But quite often those stories will change as they play and Mm. tomorrow's story will be slightly different than today's story so I think the key is about having a balance it's not about having all open-ended but try not to have all closed-ended toys try to have a a mix of both and I think that also it's important to understand that that you if you have got a large or if you have mostly closed-ended toys you actually need more toys because they will put them down and want to move on to something else whereas you can have fewer toys if they're open-ended because their attentions uh, are taken for a lot longer with the toys that are open-ended. Yeah, and and even things like if your child, you know, has sees a whole lot of stuff on TV about space and decides that they, today they want to turn something into an astronaut, if their figures to choose from are superheroes and Dora and they go oh well Dora's not an astronaut the superheroes are all the superheroes I need an astronaut I can't play with these mm. or if there are generic dolls or generic action figures that you know can kind of be created in their mind that they can become astronauts or maybe they can make a helmet out of foil and stick it on and like I said so, or you said as well some will do that mm. With Spider-Man others feel really limited because they feel like they know the story and they can't alter that so if you have those more generic toys, 
yeah, you need less because they can turn them into whatever they want without being restricted. Yeah. All right. So we've sort of looked at acquiring toys and making decisions about how many toys and what kinds of toys to acquire. And we've also talked about the psychology of play. So that rounds up today's episode. And what we're going to talk about next week is the decluttering of toys. And so some of the processes, some of the methods that you can use to declutter toys and then um, organizing them. So how to store them and where to put them. And so that will be uh, next week. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all of your friends about us so they too can be uncluttered. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or via Facebook and Instagram or on our own websites at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.